Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. So I've got a new idea to make the world a better place. Whatever phone call it is and whoever you're on the phone to, you should finish with I love you because I think you just would feel better. I think if you're on to the tax office or you're on to the guys who do the recycling bins and it's been a very positive phone call uh, or even a negative one to finish with, I love you. I think everybody will feel better. I think it should be the new sign off for all phone calls. Hello and welcome to The World As It Should Be, a podcast in which we ask our guests to tell us what they would change to help create their perfect world. This special episode was recorded last year as part of our Prima Donna Prize event. Tickets for this year's Prima Donna Prize Award live at Conway Hall on the 31st of March and featuring Lenny Henry, Kit Duval and Sandy Toxvig are now on sale. See our website for details. This podcast is brought to you by the team behind Prima Donna a uniquely anarchic and joyous festival of everything creative. The world as it should be from Prima Donna. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Prima Donna Festival here at the British Library. Of course, like technically virtually because I'm virtually there. (laughs) It is so wonderful to see you all. Are you excited? Because I am. It is Friday. Don't tell me it's because it's lockdown and you're not feeling a Friday vibe because you ought to. And to those of you who know me, let's just say you know that I have this tendency to bust into dancing and singing. And those of you who don't know me don't you dare feel embarrassed about me because only my kids are allowed to so when you see me doing this just go with the flow okay we are really really excited a prima donna festival brings together the best of the best i'm talking about writers editors poets comedians performance musicians and foodies like me and what we do at a prima donna festival is to, like I said, be as happy as possible and bring the best of the best. With different backgrounds, what we all do is share experiences, explore ideas, and imagine new possibilities. That's why today we're going to be imagining the world as it should be with my incredible, fantastic co-panelists. Let me start. Elif Shafak. Look at Elif right here. Let me tell you about it. She is a honorary prima donna. Are you ready? She's a honorary prima donna. We claim her for all the prima donnas. She's an award-winning British-Turkish novelist and the most widely read female author in Turkey. She has published 18 books and they've been translated into 50 languages. That's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. I've lost count already. And what you will see, her novel, 10 minutes, 38 seconds, In This Strange World, was shortlisted for the Booker Prize and chosen Blackwell's Book of the Year. And her previous novel, The 40 Rules of Love, was chosen by BBC among 100 novels that shaped our world. She's an advocate for women's rights, LGBTQ plus rights and freedom of speech. Elif is a fellow and a vice president of the Royal Society of Literature. She does so many things. I want you to pay attention. If you've not read her books, I need you to read a book. Now our next guest, get ready. Are you ready? Are you ready for Sandy Talksmith? All right, give it up for Sandy. Listen, you should know Sandy's face. If I have to introduce her to you, what's up? Explain that to me because this brilliant, brilliant woman, she is on our TV. She's in a picture, she's in print. She's everywhere. But let me tell you a bit more about her. First of all, She's a huge prima donna like me, 
Oh, most definitely. And of course, you recognize her from radio and on TV. And mm, that funny baking show. <laughs> she is Primetime TV's first female host of a comedy panel show, QI. She's an activist for gender equality. And in 2014, she co-founded the Women's Equality Party with Catherine Mayer, the other the other prima donna. Now listen up, are you ready? Because we're about to start setting the world to rights. Now Sandy, Elif and I have three things each that we think will put the world in the right place. I'm going to start with my first thing. My first thing is I love to eat. I would love a world where I can eat what I like and not put on weight. A world where carbohydrates and junk food are not simultaneously my best friends and my enemies. A world where I don't have to kick my boyfriend, Mr. Cobb, to the curb every single time. What do you guys think? Elif and Sandy, tell me, what do you think about that, that first thing I just mentioned? Elif, starting with you. I, I, I love your proposal. I think that's definitely also my wish. Um, but if I may share, you know, my first wish, uh, my personal one, I think I would love to live in a world where we do not allow politicians to run for office unless and until they have read at least 1001 novels. And they just can't say that I've read these books. We're going to quiz them just to make sure they're not lying. And if they have really read these books, then they can run for office, you know, they can have their elections and, and ask for our votes. But unless they prove to us that they're really reading, caring for literature, stories, we're not going to allow them to do that. Well, I, I think we should put both your, both your things together. Uh, and I think that um, no politician should be allowed to be photographed while eating. I think that is a terrible thing. I, I never again want to see Ed Miliband trying to eat a bacon sandwich. I never want to see that again. Uh, I don't uh, I don't ever want to see Boris Johnson pretending to pull a pint and drink it. I, I think there's ought to be a thing where we, we should pretend that politicians don't eat at all. I think that would be the best thing and leave the food to the rest of us. What is your favourite food, Sholem? What would, what, if you could eat anything continuously, what would it be? Oh, anything carbohydrate-y. That's the right. thing. I love my rices, my yams, ooh, my spaghetti. And I need to garnish it with some, you know, some fish, some meat. Um, when people ask me, oh, Dr. Shola, can you just tell us your dietary requirements? I said, look, as long as there's meat, there's no problem. I will eat it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but uh, I'm interested because my, my background is Danish. And if you're, you, you, in fact, you and I had lunch together, I think, in Turkey one time where you had lunch together in, uh, in Istanbul, didn't we? Do you? When you don't feel well, when I don't feel well, I long for Danish food. Is that a thing that you long for something from your childhood? I, I'm constantly longing for Turkish food, to be honest. Basically, olive oil. I mean, anything that's based in cooked in olive oil, um, it, that, that has to be at the table. But that said, I like, I like to try international foods. So not only one type. I think it's the one thing that I miss a lot from Turkish cuisine is the breakfasts because we really, really exaggerate our breakfast. Like you have to have 50 little dishes with the feta cheese and the sliced tomatoes. I mean, even when you look at it, you, you feel full. So that's something that I, so it's not like croissant or, or, or porridge type. It's a very colorful, very exaggerated breakfast that we tend to have in Turkey. And that's one thing that I really, really miss. 
I love that. But it sounds to me, Sani and Elif, that you both agree with me that the world would be a better place if we could eat what we like and not put on any weight, that junk food and carbohydrates could be our best friends, right? I think you all, I think we all we are all in agreement. Excellent. And we are also in agreement that politicians, aside from many other things they should not be allowed to do, being photographed eating or drinking is a no-no. Yeah. And they need to be intelligent enough to have read a thousand and one books. But right? it's, a, it's a really interesting thing that you say that, Elif, because it seems to me that quite often what I think about politicians is they seem to have little or no imagination. They don't seem to imagine that they say something, the impact it can have on a, on a, on a person. And so you're right about it because it's through story that we are able to, to prompt people to think beyond their own lives. So you're absolutely right. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know that we'd get them to read uh, a thousand. Yeah, imagination, definitely. If you don't have imagination, you don't have a vision. But mm. also empathy, you know, how can they connect with people, oh. with people of all backgrounds, if they don't have em empathy? There are very few exceptions. I mean, I can't think of, can you, can you think of any politicians who are avid readers? There are a few exceptions like Nicola Sturgeon. She's a big supporter of writers, literacy, literature. And I think it's, it's very you know, visible in her personality in, in, the, in the support that she gives. Hmm. But other than that, I can't think of too many examples. But I think it's because um, politics now attracts the career politician and it used to attract people who had made a success of their lives in another way, in another business before, uh, and then come into politics. And now it's people who've been political interns since they were 22 or 23. And therefore, you wonder what they know about the world, to be honest. I, I think your idea, Elif, would definitely test their vocabulary. Because I think politics today is definitely dragging people from the bottom of the barrel. You just have to look at someone like Donald Trump with bigly and huge, very limited vocabulary. Or Boris Johnson, who is always bumbling and can't put a sentence together without looking like he needs to shake his head. So, yeah, I agree with you. Vocabulary will be absolutely spot on. Now, Sandy, let's go to your first choice. What would be your first thing to set the world straight? Alip and I said our first thing. <laughs> so I was uh, speaking to a friend of mine uh, the other day and uh, I finished the phone call uh, and I just went, love you. And then I thought, why, why the hell have I said that? Um, and I phoned it back and actually she was really pleased. And I think that particularly since the lockdown, we should say it more often. So I've got a new idea to make the world a better place. Whatever phone call it is and whoever you're on the phone to, you should finish with I love you. Because I think you just would feel better. I think if you're on to the tax office or you're on to the guys who do the recycling bins and it's been a very positive phone call uh, or even a negative one, to finish with, I love you, I think everybody will feel better. I think it should be the new sign-off for all phone calls. I like the sound of that, but I, I kind of feel that with me, my, my love you will come in with, with in different decibels. <laughs> be, love, love you. you. <laughs> you know, they'll just be different and then you know whether or not I'm telling the truth. What do you think, Elif? No, I love the idea. I think we should also learn to finish our conversations, emails, both written and, and, and vocal, uh, with I love you in different languages, you know, to learn how to say I love you in Greek, to learn how to say I love you in, in, in Spanish, in Portuguese, you know, in, in different languages. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think uh, my grandson's just learned to say it in Danish and it just makes me so happy. Um, so, I, 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 you know, since the lockdown, I've heard it more from my friends. 
Uh, and I think that's a wonderful thing. I think it's, I think we just need a bit more of that, of just being honest about our feelings. Do you know, Sandy, that it's interesting that I, this is what I think, that your suggestion, that choice of yours actually sounds quite radical. Think yeah. about it. We live in a world where saying I love you sounds radical because it's very, very different. It's not what people do. And especially not adults, not grown-ups. You don't put your heart on your sleeve. You don't sound too mushy-mushy. Um, and you can't just say to perfect strangers, what would they think? So that's actually quite a radical thought. I welcome it. I think that I probably would need loads of practice. Yes, but wouldn't it be wonderful if it was your first thought rather than analyzing them too much or thinking that you have hate? I don't want to have hatred for anybody. That's right. People That's say right. to me, who do you hate? And I say, I haven't got time to hate anybody. I just don't think about the people I don't really care for. I don't give them any thought. I haven't got time. But I do have lots of love. And I do have love for the person who does a small thing for me or the person who provides a coffee for me in a shop. Or whatever. I do have a kind of love for them. So why not just say, love you? And Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's if, really if nice. You, if you make me feel better. But I do love you, Sona. I do love you. I'm thinking, Sandy, that with me, because you never know how the, <clears throat> the conversation might evolve. Uh. So maybe I should just say the love you at the start of the conversation. <laughs> 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 so that if it turns, I don't know, the other way, I'll be like, well, you know what? I've already said it. I don't need to say it again. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if the if our if our basic attitude and the baseline of things is that we try to to I know it sounds I don't know Pollyanna-ish, but that we try to love people. I think I, I maybe I'm sentimental, but I no, I think it's I it's not. I'm not going to use the word. Oh, it's lovely. I think what you said is true because the world would be a better place and we would have fewer regrets. And it's when you say, I love you, I think what you're saying, Sandy, is it's not about how the person feels about you or what they've said to you. It's about how you're feeling in that moment and what you want to express. It's about how, it's how you want to live your life, right? Can I just say it's like the best thing to say to a bloke who's red in the face with road rage. Like if they're <laughs> shouting at you and you just go, love you. Oh, wow. That would just tip them off the edge, right? Are you making fun of me? Uh, did she just say she loves me? What do I do now? I love that. I love that. Okay, so let's go to our second choices. Let's start with you, Elif. What's your second choice that would make, that would set the world to rights? Actually, as I was listening to Sandy, I think my second choice follows up on what she said so beautifully because I think I'd love to live in a world where um, whoever our other is, we turn into that person for a day every month. So for 24 hours, whoever you might be biased against, you know, whoever you might have, um, who might be producing cliches, stereotypes about, or have judgments about, whoever that person is, we become that person for, for a full day and experience life the way they experience it. And I think that kind of transformation, it might be interesting for some people, but it might be pretty shocking for a lot, a lot of people. I just wish we could do that. Elif, do you know about the People's Library? Do you know about this project? No. So there was a project around for a while and I, and I, took, I took part in it. It was very interesting. So about 60 different people go along to an actual library Mm -hmm. and um, and say maybe one thing about themselves. So unfortunately, the thing about me was was selected for me, but I was just written down as lesbian. That's what, that's, it's not the thing I think most about myself, but it was what they wrote down. And I was taken out by a Roman Catholic nun 
who had never met a lesbian and had serious religious issues about it. And we sat together and we had a conversation for half an hour and it was fascinating. It was really fascinating. And the idea is that you're supposed to take out somebody with whom you think you might have an issue or you might feel some prejudice or you might unknowingly have a prejudice. Um, and so uh, I chose to take out somebody with a severe facial deformity, thinking I had no prejudices. And she and I had a really interesting conversation. She's talking about her boyfriend. And she said, and as I'm talking about my boyfriend, Zandi, you're thinking, I wonder if he looks normal, aren't you? And I was. And I was ashamed of myself. So it was good to confront my prejudices without, I didn't re even think that I had them. Um, and maybe if you can't actually turn into somebody, maybe we should do more of that, yeah. you know, where you sit for half an hour, have that marvellous Turkish breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Don't put on any weight while you're eating it. Um, <laughs> but sit with somebody with whom on the surface maybe you don't don't have so much in common. I think that would be a wonderful thing. I totally agree. I think it, it would definitely reshape our thinking when we walk in their shoes, just by having a, a conversation, engaging in just different perspectives. I think that that is an excellent one. That would definitely set the world to rights, especially over food. Yes, absolutely. Not, not only not only prejudice, but but you also get to experience how the others are treating that person. That's yeah. something we almost never think about: how the society treats this gaze of the of the collective gaze. You know mm -hmm. how they're being judged, mistreated throughout their day. Yeah. I think it could be pretty transformative that kind of experience. And also, I think you learn something about yourself. So the first time I think I met Shola. Uh, there was some music and Shola was dancing and she said, come on, Sally. And I said, oh, uh, I don't dance. And uh, you, you went, no, everybody dances. And I started dancing and I have not stopped since, Shola. I've now decided that I'm a dancer because, because why not, right? Love it. Love it. Love it. The more people dance, I think that would definitely set the world to right. But let, let me say, just to your point, Elif, I think it's also a good idea, just sticking on from what you said, for us to have those moments with ourselves. So... Um, I remember, um, th this is probably, what, well, over 20 years ago. I am very pro-LGBTQI, right? And then when we initially had this, um, the civil partnership, you know, I was with everyone going, woo, excellent, you know, next steps, next steps. And then I remember when we started the, um, the marriage so that, um, you know, those from the LGBTQI could marry as well. And I remember that when I first heard it on the news, I, can't, I think it was the news I heard it from. Something, there was a thought that came to my mind. And immediately I called myself up. I went, whoa, because the thought that came to my mind was, okay, is that marriage? Oh, wait, 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 hold on. Why did that thought come into my mind? Because I am pro-LGBT. This, this is me in my 20s. I didn't have the names or the labels to put on things that I know now. And I thought, why was that? And then because I was querying myself, I'm not having a conversation with somebody else, but it bothered me that that was a thought that came to my mind. And so because I was querying myself, I realized, oh my God, it's because of what I've been brought up to think marriage is. It's because of, you know, the way I've been brought up society, education, religion. And then I realized, okay, then I have to unpick my own learning. 
I think that feeds into what you were what you were saying, Lily, about how we how, how we how we can engage with others, but also I think engage with ourselves and unpick our learning. Because when I did that, I, I because it just came to my mind at that time, and because I challenged my own thinking, I was able to grow, realizing that I am I am standing in solidarity with my LGBTQI siblings, and I don't have any questions in my head because as soon as I, I asked myself, "Oh, is that marriage?" And I realized, well, this is actually what marriage is. And my, my definition, my understanding of what marriage was, has been shaped by what society has told me what marriage is meant to be, by what religion has told me what marriage is meant to be. But I'm grateful to God I had that moment over 20 years ago, because now when I meet other people who have the same thought, I'm able to share what I've learned from myself. Absolutely. But that's why we need to, we need to keep talking. We need to keep sharing. You said some, I mean, what you said is so, so important. And I love the, the verb you, you used, unlearn, because we're so obsessed with learning in the age of information, constantly accumulating everything. I think unlearning is so important. The stigmas, the stereotypes, the cliches that we have internalized knowingly or unknowingly. I have many readers in Turkey who come quite conservative backgrounds, you know, and, and, and they grow up in very xenophobic settings. This is the only discourse they hear in the family, at school, in the, in the community. So when you ask their opinions about Armenians, about Jews, Greeks, Kurds, Alevis, because these are the main minorities in Turkey, they will tell you all sorts of negative things. Uh, equally, I have many readers who are very homophobic or transphobic, again, because this is the only discourse they've heard. But then they come and they say, you know, I've read your book and this is the character that I related to the most. And they get upset and they say, why did you make this character suffer? You know, why didn't you give a better, a happier ending? And then you realize the character they're talking about is Armenian or gay or bisexual yeah, yeah. or Jewish. Yeah. Uh, so it, it got me thinking, you know, how is it possible? And I don't think it's a coincidence. When we are in the company of other people, we tend to be more judgmental. When we're alone, when we go into that inner garden yeah. and open up ourselves to someone else's story, we become a little bit more ready or open-minded and open our hearts to connect with our other. And as you said, then we realize the other is my brother. You know, the other is my sister. Absolutely. I am the other. Yeah. Absolutely. It's also having a, a baseline attitude that at every turn you're willing to have your answers questioned. And I, and I really think that matters. I really, I'm always happy to look at something and turn it on its head, something that I think I've known for 40 years. And somebody says something and I go, oh, yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. And uh, that's the best thing. And that's what books do. That's what, yours especially, Alice, they always make me think new things. And uh, that's, what, that's what gets me up every day, even during this hideous lockdown thing. Today I'm going to learn something or have some new thing that I didn't yes. know yesterday. Absolutely. I, I remember a, a, um, a few years ago, a, friend, a Christian friend of mine said to me, she said, look, Shola, all your activism is yeah, it's very good, but, so I'm listening, she goes, but, ah, you know, you're a Christian and you're doing all this um um, LGBT uh, activism. How, how do you reconcile? But you're a Christian. How do you reconcile it? And in that moment, I almost did my. You should, ah, what are you talking about? I just went. Wait, wait, hold up a second. Hold up. So I, what I said to her was this. I said, if you if you were stuck in a ditch and you needed help to come out, and people were passing by, you were crying out, "Help, help!" 
and somebody puts out puts down their hand to grab yours are you going to say i'm sorry hold, hold on are you lgbt are you muslim are you a man are you a woman are you going to ask what's she said no i said so how is it relevant what their sex or sexuality is i said if you were walking and you and you heard somebody crying for help and you put your hand down now are you going to first of all say, oh, sorry, before I help you, are you LGBT? Are you this? Are you that? No. If your answer is no, then surely you must want the same thing for them as you want for yourself. We are not different. We're actually not different. I should be like, oh, okay. Because now I find myself using, trying to use lived experiences to explain Explain away, maybe not explain away, but but to, to be able to to be able to challenge those prejudices and any bias and but any do it's an interesting thing to, to have this. It's not the conversation I was expecting us to have at all. But you understand that the very fact that it's still a conversation and that there are people who who don't accept you is is painful on a daily basis. Do you understand that? It's. Yes. It, and I think that uh, in the same way as people don't say I love you, I think people don't put their hand up and go, you understand that this is hurting me. This, so it, and, I, and I think that we should do that too. We should, so yeah. maybe it's all about a bit more emotion generally. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, the Catholic Church this week had announced this thing, an anti-gay uh, thing. And I, it, it, for some people, it's just a news story that maybe they don't even read the thing, but it, it hurts. It hurts every time. Yeah. It hurts and we should say it, absolutely. Yes. Right? Yeah. To share our emotions, both the positive and the negative ones. Yeah, I think so. And, and this is the right time to do it because throughout the pandemic, just continuing with that wonderful example Shola gave, the, the doctors, the nurses, the ambulance drivers, the cleaners at hospitals who have saved our lives, right? They are Muslim, they're Jewish, they're immigrants, they're gay. You know, yeah. they come from all backgrounds and we right. do not question, we trust our lives, health, so this, this is the moment, actually, I think, to get rid of all those stereotypes that we have been accumulating all these years. I, I, and I, I know it's going to be, uh, it's a fight, right, to be able to challenge yourself. It's why one of the things I talk about in my book is for us to recognize that the societies we live in today caters to certain characteristics by default. It caters to whiteness, it caters to male, caters to heterosexual, caters to able-bodied, so many other things. And that is why there's privilege in each of these classes. So I always say to people, yeah, you hear me talk about white privilege and how that sits within the structural racism. But I also pointed that I'm heterosexual. I live in a society that caters to heterosexual giving us an advantage over my LGBTQI siblings. So I have a privilege and it's my job, my responsibility to ensure that they are not denied an equal value of life and liberty. The same as being able-bodied. It is We have a privilege in a society that caters to able-bodied to ensure that responsibility, I think, is to ensure that we, that our, our siblings who experience disability are not denied an equal value of life and liberty. And so to your point, Elif, I think if we walk in other people's shoes, if we have real conversations, if, if, if we try to shape the world through other people's eyes, not just through ours, then I think that would set the world to rights. But now I need to move to um, Sandy, yeah. your second choice. What's your second choice to set to set the world to rights? So um, uh, I understand um, why we have military because uh, in many instances the military are peacekeepers and not warmongers and they do a marvellous job. I'm particularly fond of the Navy. But I think only women of grandmotherly age should be allowed to serve. <laughs> this is my new theory. 
so you don't have to be an actual grandmother because it's not necessary to be a mother or a grandmother to, in order to visit this, but you have to reach a certain age of wisdom. So I'm uh, 62. I think I probably make an excellent uh, admiral. Uh, and um, I think, we, first of all, I think when we went on the ships, there would be tins of travel suites. I think that would be a, a nice thing if you had women of grandmotherly age. I think you'd always have something in your bag to eat because, you know, it's a, because I've had children, so I'm always very well prepared. I've always got a handkerchief. Um, and I just think there would be a lot more sitting around <laughs> chatting together before we started fighting. Uh, so if only women of grandmotherly age were in charge of weapons, I think possibly fewer people would die. Yeah. Oh, I so agree. I can already see myself at a grandmotherly age smacking them upside the head. What are you doing? Put that thing down. Put that thing down. What is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Ellie? I love it. I love it. And as I was listening to Sandy, I was thinking of that iconic photograph of 1960s, you know, movements putting flowers inside rifles, right? Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's what we're aiming for. And coming from a country where military service is compulsory, and it's a huge part of the militarization of the society, this construction of masculinity that's being constantly imposed. And it makes not only women unhappy, but I believe men unhappy as well. Because if you do not conform to that given description of masculinity, your life is difficult as a young man. So it will also help that. I think this, all these martial metaphors that we use, even in our political language, including this country. I mean, when I first moved to the UK, it's been more than 12 years now. I used to think British people are so calm when they talk about politics. I no longer think that way. You know, and Brexit happened, so much happened. But what we've seen is the political language, daily political language, replete with martial metaphors. Suddenly, opponents became enemies. Disagreements were called surrender. You know, the language of politics changed. So I think your idea is brilliant and it will help all, you know, um, spaces, all areas of, of daily life. But that's one of the things, Ella, that, I, that I'm, I'm constantly saying is that if... If we had more peace and more equality, I don't fight just for, I'm not a feminist for my daughters, uh, just I'm a feminist for my son too, because we, we'll all be better off. And certainly he will be better off as well. I, I, I can see that if a boy didn't feel that he had to be a fighter in order to prove his masculinity, we can go and write a story instead. How bloody marvellous. I love it. I love it. This is for grandmothers being the admirals and the generals, amen to that. Okay, so my second choice to set the world to rights is this. I hate sickness and I would love a world where we never ever fall sick. That's my second choice. What do you guys think? I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. Of course, I don't want anybody to be sick at the moment and it's terrible and horrendous. But every now and then, I get a, a minor chest infection and have to go to bed for two days. And that's when I read. So I'm very worried that I will give up this excuse for not making the dinner. That is the <laughs> truth of it. I love it. But look, maybe just maybe if you balanced it well, right, you will still be able to read. Okay. and still get away with not making dinner. <laughs> I know, but I have got the Navy to run now. So there's a lot. I'm going to be I'm quite busy. as. <laughs> What about you, Elif? What do you think about the world never falling sick again? I, I, love, the, I love the suggestion, except, I mean, small sicknesses, small illnesses like the flu and 
sore throats, those seemingly small things. Oh, my about. goodness. I don't have a problem with that. But pandemics, epidemics. Yeah. Um, but, you know, joking aside, this is the time we have to reconstruct everything. When right. people, with all the good intentions, when they say, when are we going to go back to the way things were before? We're not going back. <laughs> it wasn't normal before, anyhow, you know, with all these inequalities, all these injustices that the pandemic did not create, yeah. but exposed, just made them more visible. Right. So right. maybe that is the only silver lining, hopefully, in the long run, that we will learn to appreciate the things that we took for granted. Um, well, I think we may care for our elderly a little bit more if they're in charge of all the military. I think because <laughs> they can send us to war. That's right. <laughs> All right, let's get to our third choices, and we'll start with your third choice, uh, Sandy. Uh, so I think um, at least uh, once a week, everybody uh, has to be naked in a communal bath. Now, uh, I, come, I come from Scandinavia, where people being naked together, they don't even think about it. Uh, they, uh, you go along to the swimming baths, and there's usually a very elderly woman there, and she makes sure you properly wash yourself, and they're quite fierce, you know, they, and you have to be completely naked. And somehow, being naked all together, it just is a very levelling thing. I think, frankly, if all men had to be naked once a week with a whole lot of other people, they might be a lot less pleased with themselves. And I, <laughs> I also think that we're human beings. We're, we're all human beings. And we should just go, oh, right, OK, that, that's the different shapes and sizes we all come in. And it's fine. <sighs> Oh my goodness! I think I think people will turn blind if I if I just showed up naked somewhere. Uh, I can already hear my youngest going, "Oh, mommy, your belly is like jelly." So no, um, I don't know. I might just join you in the corner somewhere. I don't know if everybody going naked. What do you think, Ellie? <laughs> I'm thinking of Turkish hammams, you know. So there are different corners where we can we can wait. But but I think it's a brilliant idea, and also I love the suggestion to understand that we come in all sizes you know colors as human beings with all our imperfections scars yeah. the science of life you know all the journeys that we have been through that is what makes us human with all our stories so rather than having this idealized body image that makes no one happy no one uh, i think it, it would be brilliantly radical Radical, I think you all think it radical if when you saw me laughing, you saw my belly laughing too. No, yeah, but I, no, but Shola, your, your belly is, is part of who you are and your love of food and having a child and be getting older and it's a story. Your body has a story on it and it has scars and bruises and, you know, it's it's part of the journey that you've taken. Um, and I, and I, I think it's beautiful. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Amen to that. Amen. <laughs> that's what that's what I'm going to go to bed with now. Once I feed my face tonight and my tummy gets just a slightly bigger because I had this huge bowl of spaghetti I'm going to eat, I'll just go, you are beautiful. You yes. Are beautiful. Yes. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So that's Sandy's third um, choice, right? Okay. So we'll go to my third choice. My third choice is this. I would love a world where we could time travel to alternate universes and find our alternate selves. I mean, I would love to go to alternate universes and find a quiet Shola 
Can you imagine what a quiet Shola looks out, sounds like? Or a Shola that is, um, I don't know, less radical. Or a Shola that really loves maths and becomes, I don't know, a rocket scientist and is into physics. I would love to meet that Shola because this Shola right here is like, nah, that's not for me. So what do you think about going to alternate universes and meeting your alternate selves? Mm. I love it. And I think that's that's... That's why we, you know, we love stories that take us to different places, different centuries, to meet different sholas, but also to see the possibilities, you know, had we not taken that path, because all, there are all these crossroads in our lives, right? If I had not taken that path, but had taken the other path, what would happen? So I love, I love that, those questions as well. But I think in a way, that's kind of what we do when we write, isn't it? Isn't it? We, we present a different version of ourselves. So when the lockdown began, I wrote a sort of feminist book uh, and then it was finished and we still were in lockdown. So now I'm writing a book about a serial killer. And who oh. knew that I was remotely interested in it? Um, it's obviously bringing out some rage. It's obviously bringing out a bit of rage in me. Um, but but it's, it's not who you are. It's just another, it is an alternate universe in which you are somebody else that you've created. Mm -hmm. and so fun to meet I think yeah. um, I remember when I was younger and um, uh, I had friends you know by, of biracial different biracial heritages right and I used to think it was they were so beautiful I thought you know when I grow up this is what I would say I was probably less than 10 I used to say when I grow up I'm going to marry a Japanese man so I can have uh, a biracial by a Japanese child. Then I'm going to marry an Indian man. So I can have a back. Then I'm going to marry a Euro all of this. By the time I reached a certain age, I, I realized, okay, that doesn't work. And that's not what it was, that's not what this is for. So imagine if I meet a Shola that actually got away with all those. And when I was younger, I thought I would be an engineer and build um the, these lifts that would just automatically take you from point A to point B. Then I realized how much I would need to study to become an engineer. And I thought, no. And, and another time when I was really young, I thought I would love to be a doctor because I liked the idea of giving people injections. Then <laughs> I realized that that is not a good reason to be a doctor. But I'm sure there's a shola somewhere that is giving people injections just for the love of it. But it's never too late. So many, many years ago, when I was quite young, I met the novelist Storm Jameson. And Storm Jameson, she must have been in her 80s then. Certainly she seemed very old to me. And she was doing biology O-level, which is what GCSEs used to be called. And I said to her, so I was young and foolish. I said, why are you doing that? She said, because I haven't had time until now. Mm. And don't you love that? Really? Don't you love that attitude? It's never too late. It's never, you could be an engineer if you wanted or find mathematics exciting. Or I always think that the world is, I've just started. I've just begun. That's right. That's right. A million things to do. What would you do, Elif, if you could not, if you weren't writing? And what would, is there something that you would be drawn to? Oh, so many things. I mean, uh, I, I think partly because life has been so nomadic, and partly because I really, really love traveling, being to different countries. There's a part of me that would have loved to become an explorer and maybe reconnect with nature because yeah. I've always lived in big cities. And I love urban life. I love its that cosmopolitan encounters. And I really, really treasure that. Um, and I think in Turkey, by not appreciating diversity, we really have lost a lot. So I know it sounds like a cliche, but the fact that London is so diverse means something to me. You know, it's something that I appreciate. 
But that said, to connect with nature, to just become an explorer or a flaneur, to do more of that, because most of what I do requires me to sit at my desk, read, research and write. But there's an, another part of me that's longing to, just to be out in, in nature. I think I, I would have loved to do that more. I think that's a, there's, a, there's a Japanese expression, of, uh, they call it forest bathing. And I discovered that it's actually very good for you. And, and uh, there are people who are advised by their doctors to go forest bathing. And all it really means is you just go for a walk in the woods. Um, yeah. But it, it physically makes you, and certainly psychologically makes you feel better. Yeah, um, yeah. And, I, yeah. and I think we could all do with a bit more of that, to be honest, to go and do some forest bathing. There is, there is this very ancient tribe in Anatolia. They're called the people of the wood. Um, and as, as I was listening to you, I, I remember their rituals. Anytime they had to cut down a tree, they would draw a circle around it and get the tree's permission and explain to the tree that they had to, you know, chop her down because they needed the wood, they needed for their livelihood, um, and, and ask her permission. That, that kind of connection with nature, not seeing ourselves as the owners of this earth, as, some, as, as a possession that we have, well, certainly we can, we can learn a lot from trees because one of the things that we know now in forests is that all the trees are connected together underneath the ground. Yes. And, and trees will know that one tree hasn't had quite enough water and will pass water along this system to make sure that the one that didn't get enough is going to be okay. Yes. And are you writing at the minute, Elif? Are you in the middle of something? Or? Actually, I am writing and speaking of trees. Um, I have just finished my new novel. It's coming out in August, and it's called The Island of Missing Trees. Congratulations. Um, so how long a break do you need when you finish a book? How long, how much time do you need in order to? It's, it's a bit like a pendulum, you know, when I write, writing dominates almost everything, and I become a very asocial a social human being. Um, I can write day or night, and I try to stay in that imaginary zone as long as I can, as deep as I can. When the novel is over, I think the pendulum swing, swings back, then I go out, I become a more social human being, and I just listen. I try to learn, read, but listen to people. I think as writers, uh, we need to both read a lot, but also listen to what people are saying. Absolutely, and to me, it's always about noticing the detail because it's usually a little piece of minutiae that I mm -hmm. notice that I think, oh, there's a story in that, surely. That's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. You know, something that you didn't know. I remember going to a church and I, there's a, there was a ter terrible war in South Africa, which was known in this country as the Boer War. Um, yeah. And uh, I saw a plaque to the cycling regiment of the Boer War. And I just mm -hmm. thought, what a terrible idea to have a bicycling regiment in South Africa because of all this, this, the dusty roads, it would be dreadful. And in the end, I wrote a novel about it because it just seemed so astonishing. That, I, that was just one, you just noticed something and that's it. Yeah. So we have one more choice left. Um, Elif, I think it's your third choice. Yes. Tell yes. us, what's your third choice to set the world to rights? So now I'm throwing roses and flowers to Sandy. I, well, I love heavy metal. Uh, and I love listening to heavy metal music when I'm writing. But I particularly love Scandinavian, Viking, <laughs> folk, you know, Gothic, uh, symphonic metal and metalcore. So I realized most of the bands that I listen to happen to come from different parts of, you know, from Scandinavian countries. They're just amazing, you know? Uh, and I would love everyone to, to listen to that kind of music. But if not, if, fair enough, at least if I could from time to time be transported to that world, you know, just 
just yeah, be inhale that world from time to time when I want. That would be superb for me. Alif, when this is all done, come come to my house in Denmark. Come, we'll come over. It's a, a log cabin in the woods. We'll, we'll oh, I love. Am I invited to? No, surely no, because you're going to knock me out. It's not. Uh, no. <laughs> of course you're invited. How else are we going to dance without you? Goodness, like me. <laughs> love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Okay, look, we're almost close to the time where we have questions from the audience. So please, everybody, remember to put your questions in the chat box so that we get to ask Elif and Sandy these questions and we will answer them for you. Now, does anybody, before we round up, we have a few more minutes. Anybody have one more? Sandy, Elif, do you have one more idea you think that will set the world to rights? I like the ones that we've done. I, I really do. I, I, I think all of those things about love and about sharing food together. Yeah. If, I had, if, I, if I had the one suggestion for anybody who's having problems with somebody, sit down. What we do in Denmark is sit at a table, light a candle and have a meal. And I think yeah. there should be more of that. You know, when, they, when the first uh, peace process was done in the Middle East, um, between uh, Palestine and uh, Israel. It was done in, um, I think it was a Swedish prime minister's house. Mm. And the very first thing they did when they gathered together these very important men was they lay on the floor playing Lego with his six-year-old son. And maybe that's there should good. be more of that. Yes. Children bring out the best in some of us. So that's good. <laughs> Lego, more Lego. More Lego, but sitting on the carpet, you know? Yes. That's really important. That's uh, yeah. yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I find that... People who are able to, um, when I'm eating, I hear better. I don't know about you, but it definitely puts me in a good mood. So <laughs> if there's a disagreement, that's the best place you need Shola to be. Just be feeling her face and gradually and gradually. Oh, yeah, that's a wonderful idea. Pass I, me the sauce. <laughs> i tell you what I've decided you guys have to come is that in July, I'm going to have a massive Christmas party. Oh. Because Christmas was rubbish. Uh, we're normally, our family, we're 22 for Christmas and it was just me and my missus. Uh, she's marvellous, but was quiet. Um, but my son-in-law manages a Christmas tree farm, so he's going to get me a Christmas tree and we're going to have a Christmas party. So you'll all have to, you have to come. It'll be fun. Love it. Amazing. Love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, my God. And listen to Viking Metal. Have I yeah, there? obviously. Clearly. <laughs> What's the most common question you get asked, Elif? What is the most common question you get asked when you do an event? Um, about the writing process, yeah. I get lots of questions. Um, what else? I mean, activism. These days, I get lots of questions about activism. Um, and, and it's interesting whether in this country or in other countries. So there are these universal questions that don't change that much. How about you? You get, well, you get lots of questions. I get a lot of weird questions. The weirdest question I ever got asked was a woman in Bradford wanted to know my bra size. Really? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember. Why? So she come up and have a look. I have no idea. I have literally no idea. But I just let her come up and have a look because I'm not shy. Um, <laughs> but I, so I couldn't remember. Um, oh, we have been having a wonderful time. Sorry, Sunny. I just want to say one more thing, which is that yes. I miss both of you and I miss being able to hug you and I love you both. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> I love you. Look at that. I'm really practicing this I love you thing. Hey, I, <laughs> big hug, group hug, group hug, group hug. Oh, I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Everyone, we've had such a wonderful time this past hour. I hope you've been having a great time with us. Uh, but 
I want to say a big thank you to Sandy and Elif for joining us today, um, for being with us and sharing their incredible, incredible thoughts about how the world should be. And to the British Library for hosting um, this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The world as it should be from Prima Donna. as it should be from Prima Donna.